Hurry, I've got an offer for you. I have a backpack on. I know I'm in my 40s, but I've, I've been wearing this backpack for a while. Jim Van Horn now wears a backpack, too. We actually have matching backpacks. We got them out in Red Deer years ago, and I always wondered, can I use a backpack? And I got the thumbs up from everybody who was half my age, so if it's okay with them, it's okay with me. But here's the thing. Inside my backpack right now, limited time offer. You ready for this? Sault Ste. Marie Snow. I promised that I would bring some home. They have nowhere to put it. Nowhere. It's unbelievable how much snow they have in Sault Ste. Marie. I just got back from the Sioux last night. I love the Sioux. Fantastic people. Great food. Wherever you go, the food is just delicious. And snow. So much snow that you could. Now, this would be a double black diamond of a toboggan run. And I didn't see anybody actually trying it. But picture a parking garage, and picture it being two stories high, okay? So you've got your lower level. Actually, it's probably three stories high. you got your lower level, your first level, and then another one up top, okay? You got that visual in your mind? They've been taking the snow and just pushing it off the side of that parking garage, and it's kind of been cascading down. It has now created a hill from the bottom all the way to the top. They have nowhere to put this stuff, the drifts are so high that, yes, when you do pull up to certain intersections, you have to get out of your vehicle to do a snow pile check where you would have to go, uh, is it all clear that way? Because I can't tell. It's unreal. So I filled up my backpack. It's a little soggy right now. Uh, I can offer you a little bit of Sault Ste. Marie snow, but uh, again, hurry, act now. This offer is limited because soon this is just going to be a puddle on the floor. But I, I tried to do my part. If I'd had more luggage, I would have packed up more. They have, they've never seen it like this. Unbelievable. You know what else we've never seen? 174,352 dollars raised. I'm only two hands clapping here, but I need to thank all of you because you helped out with our chorus radiothon on Friday. Whether it was listening to the stories, whether it was picking up the phone and making a donation, thank you very much. That was that total. Now, apparently, that's getting a little bit bigger. In fact, why don't we talk a little bit more about this? Because the question comes, okay, a lot of money has been raised. This is great. What can you do with this now? If someone were to say to you, here's $174,352, you'd have a thought as to where to put some of it, but I'm sure it would be difficult to spend all of it. When we're talking about the Children's Health Foundation and the Children's Hospital, this is a dollar amount that they need and that they can make incredible use of. Joining us right now on London Live to kick off the show, again, thank you for everything you did in helping to make that total what it was. We have with us Scott Fortnum, President and CEO of the Children's Health Foundation. Scott, when that total was announced on Friday, it was a big wow. It really was. More than $174,000. Here we are a couple of days later, and we understand donations are still coming in? Yes, wow, indeed. You're right, it does. Just a, an amazing, an amazing result. The community, your listeners, came together along with the sponsors, and uh, yeah, more than 175000 a great success, and, and critically important dollars. You heard the stories from a lot of the families about the equipment they used, or the, the programs, uh, Child Life, or Ollie the Clown, or music therapy, whatever it may be, and the important impact that had on, on their child and their families. So, a great day. 
That's just it. It's one thing to say, well, here is $175,000 plus and the hospital can now make use of it. The Children's Health Foundation can make use of it. But we always wonder, well, how does that kind of slot in? Where does that go? When it comes to purchasing equipment or starting programs, how much do you rely on outside sources of funding? Well, for some of those programs, and you heard a lot of people, and even had uh, child life specialists on air, you heard a lot of people talking about that program that helps kids deal with some of the uh, experiences they're going to have before surgery or before getting a, a, a port inserted or, or even to, before getting a poke, what that's going to mean. That's entirely funded by donor dollars. Ollie the Clown and, and the Therapeutic Clown Program, donor dollars. Uh, the music therapy, and the, we all know the benefit that the music can bring to the healing process and for distraction, entirely funded by donor dollars and uh, equipment. Whatever the medical equipment is that, that's needed, 90% of it is funded by donors. So we wouldn't have the hospital we have without the strong community support we receive. It just wouldn't be there. Scott Fortnum with us, President and CEO of the Children's Health Foundation. As we look kind of at the continuing story coming out of so many of the stories that we were able to tell on Friday at the Chorus Radiothon for Children's, and the idea that these dollars are just that important, how many people with premature babies who talk about being in the NICU, the neonatal intensive care unit, talking about little blood pressure monitors. I mean, not every hospital has those things that you can put a little tiny, tiny blood pressure monitor around the arm of a baby that maybe weighs just over a pound in order to make sure they're okay. That kind of stuff just doesn't exist everywhere, does it? No, it doesn't, and, and that's the thing with the children's hospital, where it's so much different. Adults, we, we run more or less the same size. There's some variance. But at the children's, you're dealing with, as you say, little premature babies weighing about a pound to uh, 17-year-old or 18-year-old adults who might weigh 150, 200 pounds. So you need all sorts of different sizes, equipment, probes, pieces, things that are going to be right for the kid at the right time. One of the things that was really talked about a lot, especially by a lot of the kids, is how much, and this is kind of a a strange thing to say when you're going in and receiving treatment, but the kids would talk about how much fun it was, how enjoyable an experience it was. How does a hospital create that? Well, that means we're doing something right. <laughs> that's, that's for sure. And, and that's where these programs come into play. When you have uh, one of the child life specialists, these are specially trained individuals. They're going to talk to the child at the, child, at the level appropriate to the child. They're going to let them know what's going to happen. They're going to be entertained, whether it's by having uh, Ollie the Clown come in and uh, play games with them, or whether it's uh, Karina coming in as a music therapist and, and singing with them or soothing them with, with song, whatever the case may be. It becomes fun and takes away from the, the very serious nature of these visits. These kids are, let's face it, we're, we're a regional children's hospital. We serve a large area. We have the most fragile and, and the sickest children that are coming here. So if we can take donor dollars and turn that into making it a positive experience for the child and their family, then that's fantastic. And as you know, you, you've, you're on air, you've heard the stories, not, not, every, not every result is a happy ending. 
No. And that's, that's an unfortunate reality. But even when I talked to those parents, I was talking to a mother who uh, came down with her one surviving twin. She came down from Hensel. And she was talking about how she wanted to make a donation. She wanted to get down today and thank all the people who made her experience when she lost her son bearable. Uh, that's a, the worst nightmare for anyone. But the hospital, thanks to these programs, was able to make it a little bit better. Scott Fortnum with us, president and CEO of the Children's Health Foundation. We're talking about what comes next after the Chorus Radiothon, but Scott, I think you've hit on something, the fact that 90% of the dollars needed for these programs, specialized equipment, comes from donation. We had one day of many donations, one day of great generosity from sponsors and and from people in this area, but can you donate throughout the year, the other 364 days that exist? Absolutely you can, and in fact, we encourage it. Uh, One of the things, I make a monthly donation, so every month my credit card gets charged, I get points on it, on my on my credit card and I make a donation to the foundation I know those dollars I know firsthand those dollars are are being well used so if you want to make a monthly donation ten dollars fifty dollars a hundred dollars a month whatever works that's great or even if you just want to make a a one-time donation pop onto our website www.childhealth.ca you can make a gift online and not only will it be appreciated it will make a difference Scott, thanks so much for all that you do, and thanks for the time right now. Thank you. Have a great day, Mike. Scott Fortnum, president and CEO of the Children's Health Foundation. So, great day on Friday, and we continue to have outstanding care. And this is something we talked about. We have a lot of complaints, and there are things to fix about our health care system. I'm not going to be naive and say, oh, look at how fantastic everything is. It's always great all the time. No, we do have problems with our healthcare system. Wait times to see certain specialists are way too long. And it makes you wonder, why don't we have enough specialists? Why do we have to wait a year sometimes to see an ear, nose, and throat specialist? Why do we have wait times for different surgeries? We don't have a system that's perfect, but it's not bad. And when you need that care... Ask anybody who has had to jump through and kind of zip past the line. You know, we talked with somebody on Friday. Their daughter was diagnosed with cancer. The diagnosis came in. Later that night, she started chemotherapy. This was not, well, okay, take some time to look into things. Well, no, please bring her in. We're going to get this started. And that is pretty powerful to realize that that can happen. We are going to take a break. Still to come on the show, do you like self-checkouts? I'm not opposed to them. I always like talking with cashiers, but if I've got three or four items and I'm looking up and there's a big line, forget it. I'm going to the self-checkout every single time. If I've got two or three items, no way. Unless there's no one there, I'm going through self-checkout. There are some stores that are getting rid of them. Think about that. We'll talk about why it is that they're getting rid of them and get your thoughts on whether it makes a difference in your day at all or whether this is maybe just a little, here you go, here's a here's a nice little thing for a job that may one day wind up being in danger. Maybe it's not. 
Maybe they're looking at numbers and saying, forget it. People aren't using these. They, they don't want to check out 55 items worth of groceries. So we'll talk about that in about 20 minutes' time. Up next, though, we have another big congratulations. Is it okay if we start Monday with a few happy stories and some big congratulations? Derek Moore, the head coach of Western's men's squash team, joins us. They've done it again. What have they done? Well, it. Again. For the 36th year in a row. I'm not sure Derek is 36. We'll tell you what it is, what they've done, and why it is so special when London Live continues on Global News Radio 980 CFPL. If you need a workout, a walk's not bad, but I don't know if you've seen the forecast. You may not want to walk around 3 o'clock tomorrow afternoon outside, not without a face mask. We've got freezing rain on the way. We'll keep tabs on that throughout the afternoon and, of course, tomorrow morning, tell you how things are progressing. But if you need a workout, ever tried squash? You know how much of a workout that is? It's wild. You learn to play squash, you are set for life. You will very rarely, as long as you keep it up, find yourself out of shape. But it's one thing to do it recreationally. It's another thing to do it and be successful. The Western Mustangs have been, I don't think the word is successful. I think we need a new word. Ultra successful, that's the same word with the word ultra at the beginning. That's not doing them justice either. They have now won 36 Ontario championships in a row on the men's side. 36. Please welcome to London Live their head coach, Derek Moore. Derek, congratulations. Hey, how are you? Hey, not too bad. You don't have to answer this first question if you don't want to, but I'm going to ask it this way. Are you 36? Uh, Close, 39. (laughs) (laughs) So you were three when all of this got going. That just shows how, well, not to say because you're 39, it shows how long it's been going. It's been going for a while. This is incredible. Yeah, it's been going much longer than just 36 years. There was uh, a lot more titles, and then it was broken up with a loss here and there. So. So if we were to take it, we, we could see, you know, in the last X amount of years, much more than 36, they've missed out on like one or two? Yeah, a small handful for sure. Okay, well, let's talk about what it is because you can't do anything with the way that the world works these days and do it for a long time and do it consistently unless you're what, the New England Patriots. That's about the only team that is able to do that. What is it about Western squash that keeps you guys on top? Um, well, it really just goes back to the original uh, coach, Jack Ferris. He, he did a phenomenal job getting Western squash going decades ago and then getting it involved in the u.s squash circuit which is really what um what keeps our team so successful within canada specifically because um so we participate in in canadian squash but we also play in the u.s college circuit so we'll play the best players and schools in the uh in north america so we'll play harvard and yale cornell um but because those schools are so uh expensive uh, for especially for out of country kids, they can go to the U.S. if they can afford it, or get a really good scholarship, or if they want to still participate in that same level of play, they come to Western. So you wind up getting some pretty good squash players. Yeah, pretty much most people on a, on the team are or were the best kids in the country for their age. 
That's pretty impressive. Well, over and over and over again, it keeps happening. This is 36 consecutive Ontario championships. How do you work the travel? Because it's one thing to say, hey, let's play varsity sports and you will compete against schools in Guelph. And, well, maybe as far away as Ottawa and Kingston or down in Windsor. Uh, you're going to Boston. How do you work that? Oh, it's, uh, it's painful. We, we typically get two minivans and then we pile 12 or 14 of us in there and we drive the we drive ourselves the 12 hours or so to get there how do you pass the time for those 12 hours in those vans uh, that's actually probably the most fun part of the trip so we we play word games and we sing and tell jokes and <laughs> just all kinds of fun stuff we have a great time so team bonding that's never a problem for western squash it is definitely not we have an amazing group of kids when you look at the sport of squash and the recognition at the NCAA level, is it any different than in Canada? Um, yeah, the, the NCAA especially. Like, these, these schools are recruiting literally the best squash players on the planet that can attend university. So they have, like Harvard recruited the number one and two players in the world this year for under-19. And... Like, it's just growing year over year. The U.S. is putting more money into squash. The squash is becoming a, a much more competitive sport. Um, yeah. It almost is easier to watch it now as well because there are a lot of matches where you've got the camera up top and you can actually get a better view, whereas before it, it's tough to be a spectator sport when you need the walls in order to play the sport. Yeah, the, the full glass court has really contributed to it becoming much more viewable. And there's some companies that, uh, that have, have set up the travel the world that, uh, that televise it online. And even we're heading to Yale this weekend uh, for U.S. finals, and that'll be streamed live all, I think there'll be probably six courts streamed live um, all weekend on squash, PSA Squash TV. All right. Well, best of luck there. Congratulations on what you just did here. And, Derek, keep up the great work. Thanks a lot. That is Derek Moore. He is the head coach of Western's men's squash team. 36 Ontario championships in a row. You know what else I found really wild this weekend? I mentioned I was in Sault Ste. Marie yesterday with the London Knights. I always like this. When the Knights have a good year going and they win games – you hear nothing from anybody. They put 58 pucks at the net on Saturday and didn't win. They lost 6-3 in Saginaw. And then on a quick turnaround yesterday, and, you know, you can argue what you want, Sault Ste. Marie feasts on travel schedules of visiting teams. Last year on Sunday afternoons at home, they were 7-0-1. This year they've done it six times, and they have failed to pick up at least one point. Only once. So they just feast on teams getting in at 2 in the morning, getting up at 8 in the morning, getting to the rink right away. And so the Knights have now lost two games in a row. And I can't believe the number of people who will either tweet at me or who will send an email saying, what's wrong with this team? Or they say, here's what has to happen. This is the first time this year the team has lost two games in a row. And they did it on, on a tough turnaround on a weekend. I always love it. But you know what? Know who else loves it? The coaching staff. Because they'll be able to look and say, hey, you know what? Things aren't going as perfectly as you think. So here's where you need to dig deep. Here's where you need to do better. And you get that attention. You need things like this. If everything goes too well in your life, believe it or not, that's not a positive. 
That's You need some adversity in order to learn how to handle things when they come up. And that's that's a real thing. But it always always amazes me, the number of people that will say, well, here's what they should have done. Here's what they need to do. Uh, yeah, okay. Uh, I don't know if that's what they're going to plan to do, but the coaches will meet today. I don't think anybody's overly worried. I know the team is not overly worried about two straight losses. So he just if if you're a Knights fan and it's, and it's driving you nuts that they didn't win two games on the weekend, <sighs> take one of those. Next up, we'll check out what's happening in the rest of the world. Jacqueline LaBelle will have news. This is London Live on Global News Radio 980 CFPL. How'd you sleep last night? I slept all right, but it took a little while to get there, and it it was a strange situation. I got home about 1 a.m., and about an hour after that, I found myself on the floor in our office on a mattress with a cat box at the foot of the mattress and a cat in the room. We're trying to train a cat. Not to fetch, not to jump over hoops, not to do anything that the dog Olympics dogs did. Nothing like that. We've got a cat that's decided all of a sudden, he's a street cat. We rescued him off the street. When you rescue a cat off the street, there's no small print. There's nothing that says, hey, thank you for rescuing this cat off the street. It's now going to cost you $850 to own this cat. By the time we got all his shots and the deworming and defleeing and all the other stuff, it's about eight hundred and fifty bucks. Still, it's fine cat. I don't mind having him around, but he has decided all of a sudden that he would like to be an outdoor cat again. Don't know why, but you open the door, he'll run out, and now he's taken to a thing where he will mew at the door. This would start during the day, so he'd do it about four o'clock in the afternoon, and if you didn't let him out, he would pee in the entranceway on shoes. My son's buddy had a brand new shoe that the cat peed in. Fortunately, my wife was very quick and washed it out, and I think everything's okay. Is is it Montel? Is everything okay? How's your shoe? I don't think he's listening, but I thought I'd ask anyway. But the cat will pee in the entranceway. And so I get home last night, and what do I do? I wake up the cat. So he has changed his 4 o'clock in the afternoon till 4 in the morning where he'll start. He starts at 4 in the morning wanting to go outside. Doesn't seem to realize it's still winter. Keeps hoping it's not. And he'll run outside. You don't have to wait for him to come back. I don't want him to die. Cats get hypothermia. I googled that. And at 1 o'clock in the morning, he's mewing to get out. He's waking up the house. We're all sleeping on our my pillows. Everything was going fine. 1 o'clock in the morning, he's mewing to get out. So I thought, enough of this. I'm not doing this. I'm not waiting for this. I'm not letting this cat out. It's minus six degrees outside. It's cold outside. So I went downstairs and I grabbed a cat box and I thought, I'm not going to wake up my wife. I grabbed a mattress. I slapped it down on the floor. I put the cat box in the room and there I was sleeping in the room with the cat and the cat box. This doesn't have to be, does it? Can somebody help me out? How do you train a cat to forget that it wants to go outside. And certainly, and we've tried a lot of things. We tried these little 10-minute timeouts where when he mews, you put him in a bathroom with a cat box, you leave him in there for 10 minutes, and then you let him out, and that's supposed to work. That didn't work. It's a cat. 
If you have any kind of suggestion, we're desperate. We're willing to do anything just to not have to sleep on the floor with a cat box at the foot of my bed and the cat every once in a while going, hey, I, I want out. And then the other cat is playing, can you see my foot? Under the door, reaching in. If I'm a little punchy today, if I get a little cranky at any point in the show, please forgive me just this once. We'll take a break. Up next, here's what I want to chat about. I want to chat about self-checkouts because we need to put something together. Do, do, we, do we stay on the road that we were on originally where self-checkout is the thing? Everybody will check out their own stuff. No interaction with anybody else. And you get outside the door of the store. Or are cashiers a thing that we should not get rid of? That's what we'll pose to you in just a moment. Phone lines are open, 519-643-2222. Do you want to see self-checkouts disappear? Do you hate them? Or if they went away, would you miss them? 519-643-2222. I'll get to what a couple of Canadian tire stores in Toronto and another grocery chain in the United States have done. We'll have that story for you. This is London Live on Global News Radio, 980 CFPL. The self-checkout. Here's the story in all of this. We've had self-checkouts for a little while, and they are strange to use the first couple of times, but after you figure out where to put the barcode, everything gets a little easier. And the barcode receivers have become a whole lot better. You wave that thing anywhere nearby, boop, it'll find it. That's great. But now we've got a couple of stores... In Toronto, a Canadian tire store or two that has decided to do away with self-checkout. There's a grocery chain in the U.S. that's not the biggest grocery chain in the U.S., but they are pulling all of these things out. Gail Vaz Oxlade, who is somebody, there's... There is a a rumor that Sobeys is going to be bringing some in. Gail does a lot of financial stuff, and she has said that she'll scream and yell and doesn't want to see these things at all. So we'll get to that. 519-643-2222. Do you make use of self-checkouts? We need to figure this out now because I do if I have a couple of items, but I'm not going to do it if I have a full grocery. 519-643-2222. You can email mike at 980cfpl.ca. First, though, I may need some more help with the cat. James says, we've got an outdoor cat. Meows the same time I let him out. They have a good hiding spot to keep warm. No worries. Happy sleeping. Really? I can let him out in minus six? And I won't have to have a cat-sickle in in the morning? That, That won't happen? 519-643-2222. 519-643-2222. It is my pleasure to welcome to London Live, Richard. Richard. Good afternoon, Mike. How are you this afternoon? Fantastic. Do I have your permission to make a quick comment before I address the self-checkout? Uh, you're not going to get me in trouble, are you? No, of okay, course Okay, then not, you Mike. fire away. I'm, I, all I wanted to say is that I'm extremely disappointed, right, with Bruce MacArthur's sentence. I wanted him to receive the same sentence, right, that Justin Bork received. But unfortunately, here in Ontario, I guess it just wasn't meant to be. And all I want to say to the gay community in Toronto out there and to the mid, uh, mid, people from the Middle East, right, I'm extremely sorry, right, that the justice system failed you. Now we'll talk. Talk, right, about self-checkouts. 
Myself personally, Mike, I got nothing against self-checkouts. I don't use them. And I'll tell you why I don't use them. Number one, I I don't like computers to begin with. And number two, the reason I don't use them, right, is because they don't pay taxes. At least when I go through a checkout, right, and a young lady or a young man is serving me, I know that person is working, I know they're paying taxes, and I know they're contributing to the economy, to our health care system, and social services, and all those things that us Canadians take for granted. But when you go through a self-checkout, right, they don't pay taxes whatsoever. So I'll tell you, Mike, the day they come up with the technology that they can teach self-checkouts, right, on how to pay taxes and contribute to our Canadian economy, that'll be the day I will support them. But until that day, I won't support them at all. Anyways, Mike, it's nice to talk to you again, and thank you for making me uh, let me make my quick comment on the sentence of Bruce MacArthur. Anytime. Richard, you know what? I was surprised that he would be in a position to get parole. I think, I think a lot of people would be happier if that wasn't the case. And it could have been. But he's in a position to get parole. Even though he's going to be, what, 91 when that comes up, but still, it's another day that the families and friends of the victims have to see in 25 years from now when, oh, guess what? We've got to dredge up this entire story again. So, Richard, I am with you, and I like the argument. I like the argument. Marilyn, how are you doing today? Well, not too bad, thank you. And it's so good to hear Richard again. And um, as far as Bruce MacArthur is concerned, he should have been hung, and I would have pulled the lever because my son is gay, and his partner is, of course, and a wonderful, wonderful, both of them are wonderful men. Anyways, I do feel sorry for the families and pray for them. Now, dear, I'm sorry that um, the night's lost, but it's a lesson, you know, in a way. We can't always win. And as far as your cat's concerned, well, if you'd have had that cat from the time he was very tiny, a tiny kitten, then you could have trained him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he lived See, on the street I, for a I while. I had my first cat after we were married. He was only two weeks old, and these people gave them to me. They wanted to get rid of them, so they gave me the cat, and people said, you'll never raise it. Well, I did. It grew into such a beautiful, beautiful ginger cat. Did it ever pee in the front entrance way, and do you have any oh, tips? No. no. No, but see. you got a tree. Do you not have a litter box? We have three. Oh, my gosh. Well, then put one at the front door and one at the back door. <laughs> I'd rather not have guests come in and say, hey, that's a really nice uh, well, you know, litter box you have. Well, you know, you can get them covered. There. You can get them like a True. little dog house. Yeah, I've seen those. Okay, Marilyn, you've, you've given me a tip. See, you always give me tips. Thank you well, for that. Well, I'm glad of that. And look at uh, there's two more things if you've got the time. And one thing is that I never use those, what is it? The self-checkouts, self okay. Check Oh, I never use them. All right. And what's the other thing? The other thing is Richard uh, seems to be very familiar with Saskatchewan. Well, my p grandparents came out from England and tried, and I'm saying tried, farming. They knew as much about farming as I know about brain surgery uh, at a pl in a place called a little farm near Tyvon, Saskatchewan. Now, I wonder if Richard knows where Tyvon, Saskatchewan is. I've written is. it down, and the next time we're lucky enough to talk to Richard, Marilyn, I will ask him. You have a great uh, afternoon. And you too, dear. Bye-bye. Hey, don't forget Valentine's Day. Yes, I, I have marked that down as well. That's a great reminder for all of us guys. Well, you and your Valentine's daughter. You remember, you, uh, your daughter and your wife, 
and chat, too. Okay, I'll do my best. I've written it down. I I hope that's half the battle. Marilyn, you have a great day. You too, dear. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. 519-643-2222. Email mike at 980cfpl.ca. John, do you use self-checkouts? You know what? I I do, and I... I don't like doing it because I have to reiterate what uh, Richard said. For years, I've said, you know, when Ford Talbotville made a big thing back in the 80s about uh, robotic painters and uh, that they had on the assembly line and that, uh, it wasn't actually myself, but my father said to me then, he said, you know, the bad thing about this is these machines will not be paying uh, uh, income tax or out there buying things and paying uh, uh, taxes on their purchases, which is only going to hurt the economy. So I reiterate what Richard says, but even going forward on this, you know, we've got the, since then, we've had the, the banking machines, which we all use uh, 24 hours a day. We can use them not seeing a teller um, at the grocery stores. And artificial intelligence is only going to get more and more and more out in our faces there. And they make it so that it's so convenient to use, we'll, we will use them. But at the end of the day, as these jobs evaporate because of these robots or machines or artificial intelligence, whatever you want to say, uh, take over. Uh, the government still has to tax. There's still roads to pave. There's still infrastructure. So there's going to be less and less people working, but they're still going to need probably more tax money because of supporting these people that now have no jobs. So the few people that are left working, their taxes are, of course, going to skyrocket to make up for the people that aren't working. So uh, this is sort of self-defeating. As much as we like it, and I know it's convenient, and I kick my butt every time I use it, saying I should get into that line over there, even though I've got uh, only five or ten uh, uh, items here, I'm helping in the demise of <laughs> a whole lot of people's jobs, maybe someday my own, but I'm also guaranteeing that my taxes to the government are definitely going to go up as less and less people are working. John, thanks for the call. Okay. Because it's a great point. So it's convenience versus jobs but a lot of times when we look we say hey what about this job where is that industry headed we get asked that about all kinds of things every industry our industry has that but you know do you do you try and save someone's job when in the end it may disappear anyway that's that's a whole big question in all of this 519-643-2222 let's go to bill hey bill Hey, Mike, how's it going? Pretty good, thanks. All right, so uh, I'm going to agree with uh, what Richard had to say there and what John just said, but uh, even with me agreeing with them, those self-checkouts are so convenient, especially like when John said that you got five or or so items in your hand. I'm not going to wait for a a person who's out for their big six-person family uh, shopping trip to finish up their their 30-minute long uh, checkout session that they're going to be going through just to get my five items so, yeah, I really like the self-checkouts for that, but um, I can definitely agree with that. Uh, yeah, they, they are an amazing thing, but they are something that's here, and they're going to be here to stay, really. Yeah, well, we're seeing some stores in Toronto say no. We've seen a grocery store line say no. I wonder if it's for the publicity, because the convenience factor, if you look at that big, long line, and sometimes those grocery lines these days are awfully long, it's awfully tempting to go the other way. Thanks for the call. 519-643-2222. Gary. Hey, Mike. Hey, Gary. Hey, I just want to let you know I work in the grocery industry. Um, I sell to a lot of the grocery stores. Okay, then so I'd the love self- to get your perspective on this. Yeah, well, obviously convenience wins, right? I mean, that, that's a given. People are, you know, they don't want to stay in the line. They don't want to wait. And I get that. Um, I, I'm not 
disagreeing with the self-checkouts, uh, for convenience, they are there. The other thing to look at, too, when people saying about the jobs and everything, every person who owns a computer is really guilty of it. Online shopping. Yeah. Okay, and we're seeing that in the grocery stores. Okay, but I just want to add one thing to this because everybody's getting on saying all the jobs are going away, all the jobs are going away. No, they're not. A lot of the people uh, who work on the cashier, like the cashiers, are usually part-time students. Okay, they are offered other positions within the grocery stores because they're not doing their regular jobs. So whether it's stocking shelves, cleaning up, uh, helping out, you know, in different areas, that's what they're doing. I'm not saying that everybody's job has been maintained. That's not the truth. But a lot of them have just been put in different positions within the uh, organization. Okay. And everything is always in flux. Here's something that I don't know if you have any info on it, but I'll ask because of your involvement with grocery stores. You mentioned the online shopping for grocery stores. Does that create more jobs in that you've got people who will actually go around the aisles who are employees, load up somebody's order, and then it's given to them? Does that create more work? Absolutely. Because uh, like in most of the stores, like your larger ones that are offering that, you like any given day, I'll see two, three, four people walking up the up and down the aisles doing the uh, the online shopping for people. So in that where the cashiers maybe have, you know, not been a cashier anymore. Now they're doing that type of the online shopping. So I think what you're going to see is more of a balance than anything else than uh, people, you know, just in the losing jobs, losing jobs. That's not the truth. Yeah, everything is always in flux. Thanks for the call. Thanks for the perspective. Hey, no worries, Mike. Bye-bye. 519-643-2222. We're talking self-checkout. Kevin, thanks for hanging on. Hey, Mike. How are you? Pretty good, thanks. Yeah, I'm I'm, I'm like you. If I have one or two things, I'll go to the self-checkout. But yeah, if I have anything more than that, then I'm just going to wait. Yeah. I'm just going to wait in line. Yeah. Do you find that the self-checkouts are getting away from being simple? I find them tougher now. They've taken away language. I think they're, it's, it's like building a barbecue when you buy a barbecue. You've got one page of instructions, and there's no language to it so that they don't have to print a whole bunch. And I, yeah. I find that difficult these days. Yeah, 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 it was. All I right. just have to say, it was nice hearing Marilyn. She is wonderful. I love hearing her every time she calls in. Well, she, you, she'll have tears streaming down. Marilyn, right? You'll, is there a tear streaming down your face? I know there is. That makes her so happy. So thanks for saying that. No problem. You have a good day, Mike. You too. 519-643-2222. Fit in two more calls. We can, well, we can do about a minute more here. Les, how you doing? Uh, good. Uh, I do use self-checkout, but just a sidebar, a fella called in earlier about Ford putting in robots, and... Uh, one thing that people don't think about is that the robots put Ford put in, uh, especially into the paint shop, was the paint isocyanate paints, which tend to kill people when they breathe the vapors. So the robots were put in to save people from having to breathe the vapors. And one other place where Ford spent $8 million putting in four robots was to put windshield and backlights into cars because they were so heavy. They had incredible uh, workman's compensation claims on people with hurt backs, hurt arms, and they never recouped their $8 million. They replaced four guys or six guys, but uh, they often do that for safety reasons, not just for automation reasons. Yeah, great points. Thanks for the call, Les. James, you've got the last word on this. Okay, yes. Uh, I remember a head cashier at uh, one of the stores saying when they put those things in, they take hours away from the girls. Uh, the girls who and who pay rent, who pay for groceries, who pay for other things. So I promise them each time I go through them, I will not use 
a uh, self-checkout and takeaway hours from the uh, cashiers. James, thank you for the thought. Have a great day. Thank you for all the thoughts. Thank you for the discussion. That's what makes talk radio so fun. We're going to take a break. We're going to be talking wages in just about 10 minutes from now. We're going to get two perspectives on whether City Hall should be raising wages that they were going to have to raise to $15 an hour that they now are saying, you know what, maybe not. We'll talk about it. Next up, Jacqueline LaBelle and News. This is Global News Radio 980 CFPL. One more word on this. Thanks to Aaron for emailing Mike at 980cfpl.ca. Aaron says, I use self-check at Shoppers Drug Marts only because no one else does, and I never have many items, not to mention privacy of some items are better left self-checked. Uh, that's an element of the discussion that hadn't been brought up before. Hey, very good point. Yeah, it's Gary said it. It is convenience, but remember, everything's in flux. So as long as we've got dispersal of jobs and we're not losing all jobs, then we at least have some hope. We've got all kinds of jobs that have come and gone over the years. The important thing is new ones are being made. Do you have yourself in a position where if you lost your job now, you could move to something else? Maybe that's a big question to ask. News is next with Jacqueline LaBelle. This is Global News Radio 980 CFPL. Tomorrow at City Hall, we are going to have maybe the end of a discussion about wages at City Hall. When it was announced by the previous Ontario government that we were going to see a rise to $15 an hour, there were thoughts and decisions made regarding what to do with city employees and how to handle those wages. Now that we are not seeing the full rise to $15 an hour, we have seen, could we call it a, a change of heart, a change of thought process? Well, why don't we invite the first of our two guests in on this? We're going to be hearing from Stephen Holland, president of QP Local 101, in just a little bit. Let's get some thoughts right now from Ward 2 Councillor Sean Lewis on the City of London not increasing wages for a group of city employees. Sean, how are you on this Monday? I am doing great, Mike. A little chilly, but not nearly as cold as we were a week or so ago. That's true. That's very true. We do have freezing rain on the way, but we'll ignore that for now. We don't have to talk about that right now. What we do need to talk about, though, is wage increases at City Hall. Can you lay this one out for us so that we make sure we've got all the details covered? Well, I I can certainly do my best. Uh, you know, we have to start with the fact that uh, where we are in the budget right now is uh, a 2.7% tax increase. You know, when council's making these decisions, we have to think about uh, everyone, everyone in our community. And in comparison, so we're, we're raising your property taxes 2.7%. A senior citizen in our community living on Canada Pension and Old Age Security this year is going to receive a 1.5% increase. So obviously there's a gap there. We have to be mindful of the fact that uh, people's incomes uh, are not keeping up with the cost of living these days, and neither are their property taxes. And property taxes are such a, uh, a regressive form of taxation because they're not based on income. Uh, they're based on a home that in some cases people have lived in for 30, 40 years. They don't really have control over the valuation of their property taxes. So it is a really... Um, awkward and, and regressive tax system to work with to fund the city. Uh, now, when we're talking about this wage increase, we're talking about a, a city that has 
roughly 3,000 uh, employees, and those full-time and permanent part-time employees, they're all making well above the living wage rate for our city. What we're talking about here is a, a small group of employees. Uh, right now, it would be 283 people who are directly affected in the part-time casual classification. It's a demographic that, you know, it, it's dominated by high school and, and post-secondary students. And even in this group, the average wage is $17.50. So they're not staying at $14 an hour when we hire them. They are getting the opportunity to have wage increases. If they have skills and training that are relevant to the job, uh, a lifeguard would be a great example. They're not starting at $14 an hour, even though they're casual and part-time. So th this whole concept of somehow, uh, you know, we're keeping people's wages repressed and, and we're not paying people what they're worth, it's just not accurate. So how do you feel this plays out then? Because this will come up tomorrow. It absolutely will. And I, uh, my sense is that council is going to stand by the decision it's made. Uh, we're not going to spend the uh, $521,000 to go ahead with a, a voluntary wage increase right now. And, and one of the reasons for that, Mike, is we've had uh, approximately $1.4 million in unanticipated operating costs added to this budget already. Uh, we've got a, a new provincial standard on cycling lane maintenance. Uh, we had to put more money into our ambulance services because our response times were falling. Uh, we've restored our seniors' bus tickets. Uh, we also have a multi-year budget coming up where we have to find permanent funding for uh, the kids riding the bus under 12 years old, the riding for free. We've got to find a permanent sustainable source of funding for the secondary students' passes. Uh, we are currently, the, the low-income bus passes are underfunded. So there's all kinds of costs coming our way that are going to impact this budget uh, that are going to have a far greater impact on people who might be struggling because those are transit subsidies that are helping people in low-income situations get around the city. We're talking with Ward 2, London City Councillor Sean Lewis, about a wage increase that was talked about that does not appear as though it will go through. As Sean indicated, the city will likely stand by not adding on another dollar and making it a $15 per hour wage for a group of employees. And as Sean has pointed out, this is not a large group of employees. You said 280 employees? Right now, there are 283 employees that would be affected by this. And, and, Mike, not all of them are making $14 an hour either. There are people in that group that are making $14.25, $14.50, $14.75, because we do recognize experience. We do give them a chance to, to uh, get wage increases. And compare that, 283 employees that would benefit from this. Uh, to offset that cost, we could, for example cancel the subsidy for the student bus pass for high school students. That has benefited 3,777 students so far. So in terms of impact, we have to look at what's making the biggest impact. Sean, thanks so much for the time today. My pleasure, Mike. Anytime. Ward 2 Councillor with the City of London, Sean Lewis. So, Councillor Lewis talks about 
the 2.7% tax increase, talks about this being a voluntary wage increase. Keep those two things in mind. As well, we're looking at a smallish group of individuals, 283 that would be in the part-time casual workforce. And then he does bring up a very good point in that if you are going to fund this, you've got subsidies that may go by the wayside in other areas. And what would that do to people who would be in a situation that would be challenging financially from day to day? So keep all of that in mind. We'll introduce other perspective when we return. We'll be joined by Stephen Holland, president of QP Local 101, as we continue to talk wages at City Hall. We'll get your thoughts as well. You can email right now, mike at 980cfpl.ca, if you have a thought on it. Stephen Holland, next on London Live on Global News Radio, 980cfpl. We're talking wages at City Hall, and, and maybe taking this to a broader picture because for a long time we have looked at pilot projects here and there regarding a living wage. We have heard discussions about living wage. We had minimum wage boosted last year and we had a lot of people at the time saying, hey, this is going to hurt me in the way of a small business. Talk to a restaurant owner. They're still dealing with challenges that exist in having more minimum wage employees. One thing that they struggle to do in the restaurant industry is have a staff meeting. Because you've got to pay everybody for three hours. And if it costs you $45 a head to bring everybody in, that gets to be a challenge. So nothing is a perfect system, but we want to examine this from as many angles as we can. So we heard from Ward 2 Councillor Sean Lewis about the fact that it doesn't appear the city is going through with the voluntary wage increase. It was made voluntary by the fact that the Ontario government decided, no, we're, we're not going to do what the Liberals were going to do. The Doug Ford government is going to keep things at $14 for now. And we're talking about a group of part-time and casual employees at the city of London who will not see wages increased. There's about 283 of them. The city is dealing right now with the budget and the multi-year budget. To give some more thought to this conversation, we welcome Stephen Holland, president of CUPE Local 101 to London Live. He joins us in studio. How are things? Things are very good. Thanks for inviting me. See, if you ever feel as though it is too cold, you have to just find Stephen and take a look because Right now, today, you are in shorts, and I, I credit you for doing that. <laughs> Thank you very much. Of course, even in the coldest of weather, I'm always in shorts. Well, let's talk about wages and where we sit in the city of London and, and what you make of this particular story. Well, I give a lot of credit to to Sean and the other councillors. I know this isn't an easy task. I know that the budget and, and trying to figure this out, you're always going to, someone's going to be upset over it. So I, I get that. But for me, I look at this and I think that this is an opportunity for the city to step forward and to let everyone know, other cities, you know, other employers, this is what we want to do. This is how we want to treat our employees. This is what we should be doing across the board. It's, it's a way to set the tone and set a standard. And, and we don't want to be below the standard. We want to set the standard. And, and the employer... Normally, the city of London, that's that's what they do. They, they try to set the bar high for others to match. And, and I'm, I'm hoping that they rethink this and, and do this. I know that other unions, um, Alistair Bruff from um, QP Local 107, um, Jason Timlick from the Firefighters Association, 
Rick Robson from um, the uh, Police Association, they've all stepped up and said the same things. They, they've all felt this way. They, they spoke very strongly about this. We all believe that this is what the city should do and that they should really set the bar high. This will benefit people. I, You know, when I went through college and, and, and even high school, I was living on my own. I left home at an early age and I was, you know, renting my own place. And if I didn't have a decent job, I couldn't have afforded it. This only encourages precarious work. Many students could be in the same boat as that I was, where I was literally, I needed that job or I couldn't pay my rent. I didn't have a parent that was paying my way, you know. So there's lots of others that are like that. And I think that, again, we need, we can't leave people behind in this. You know, we, again, we need to step up. We need to let everyone know this is what we should be doing for people. When we look at this particular situation, it's happening around budget time. If it wasn't happening at budget time, do you think we could be having a different discussion? I always think we it would be a different discussion. Um, you know, right now it's, you know, the budget dictates a lot of things. My only concern is, is that this was something that was already planned. We were supposed to do this until Doug Ford came. The $15 minimum wage was expected, was anticipated, and that everybody was budgeting for. So if we were already planning and budgeting for, I don't understand why we have to scrap it and allocate those funds elsewhere. We've already allocated it to it. Now they're just kind of, you know, again, I, I think nickel and diming, they're, they're changing things around and they're not doing the best for everyone. We're talking with the president of CUPE Local 101, Stephen Holland. Steve, with regard to wages, we can always look at employers, employers of small business, when the minimum wage hike was coming in, said, whoa, 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 this is, this is too much, too fast. Is, is there anything to that in your mind? I, again, so many employers, and, and, and I'm not trying to be hard on employers, because I think that, you know, there's got to be a, a good level way to do this for everybody. But... They've been they've been paying low wages, you know, minimum wage for how long? Like forever. And and it's never gone up. So in all reality, they've saved for a lot of years. And people they they've kind of, you know, again, I'm not be, trying to be mean by saying this, but those people that were making that small amount of minimum wage, they kind of made a lot of money off of them. And now they're trying to move it fast, and I get it. I I hear what they're saying, but in the same sense, you know, it's been long overdue. You mentioned setting a standard. Is it going to take a community to say, we're going for this? We're just, we're going to make it in our community. We're paying in, you know, pulling a number out of the air, $17 an hour in this community for others to take a look and and see how it works. Do we need somebody to step up and try that? I think we have to, because right now we're getting told that, no, this, this isn't going to work. I think that we need our community to step up. I think we need everyone to step up and say, we want... We want a good living wage for everybody, not something that means several jobs and precarious jobs that, you know, again, you know, if you get, you know, a job that pays 13 bucks an hour, you might be working three jobs. Is, is that is that feasible for people? I don't want to see anyone living that kind of life. I want them to live a life that's comfortable and bringing the minimum wage up to a, a realistic wage is what's going to do it. There are those who will believe, hey, that's that's a rite of passage right there. You're you're gonna have three jobs at the beginning, you're gonna have two jobs at the beginning. That's that's what you gotta do to get ahead. Does our world really work like that still? I you know, again, I, I get it. I I hear that mentality. But the reality is is that sometimes these are the jobs that people are gonna have for the rest of their lives. Maybe they only have a grade twelve and, and they can't get anything else for whatever reasons. So that's their life. So they're stuck at 
$14 for the rest of their lives. You know, we, we sit there and we say that, you know, oh, this is, you know, a student's job. Some of these things aren't student jobs. We need to get out of that mentality of saying this is just a student job. Students need a decent wage too. Again, I just reiterated, I was a student. I put myself through school. I put myself through, you know, living. Again, there's many others. It's not just me. This is this isn't uncommon for someone to put themselves through school at a young age. So maybe we just need to realize that and start looking at a bigger picture rather than making it a little isolation. We're talking with Stephen Holland, president of CUPE Local 101, about wages. Wages overall. Sure, it will come up tomorrow at City Hall about the voluntary wage increase that the city is not going to go through with. But we want to look at this in, in a bigger picture. Can we ever step back and say, okay, here are the jobs that we have across the board. This is what's being paid for each of them. Uh, we do comparisons sometimes from municipality to municipality, but here's what we have. Here's the way it works, whether you are a full-time employee, whether you are a student, whatever it is, and and really start to bring things to consistent levels, or is that something that's you know that won't be done, that can't be done? Is that like getting into athlete salaries where they all know what they're making so they can say, well, if you make $25.4 million a year and we get you to make $25 million a year, then all of a sudden we're going to be seeing increases across the board. And, and we may see increases across the board in, in certain areas. I think that we have to, at some point in time, start to do this. It's, it's important. Do we want people to be investing in our communities? You know, if, if you're not, not making much money at all, that limits your opportunities. It, it limits what you can do and, and what you can do. You know, we've been putting such a huge push on, you know, Tourism London. Well, who's going to spend that money? Who's going to be at these events unless we have people that can actually afford it? So, you know, one hand feeds the other. We need to work in unison together to realize that if we do that, then we can actually support our community and it will be sustainable for everybody. And that was a big argument at the beginning that, hey, let's find a way to drop more disposable income into the economy and then everybody should benefit. It should spread itself out. It's not like baseball owners who are putting the money in their pockets and, and keeping it that, hey, if you, you spend what you make, right? We always hear that. Absolutely. And I totally agree. I think that, you know, at, at the end of the day, people are going to go to events, you know, come downtown. If, if we want our downtown to be pr- prosperous, well, the only way to do that is to have people there. If you can't afford to pay rent, you're not going to live downtown because that's more expensive there. So there's less and less people. We've got the students downtown. Those students need jobs to afford these things. Yes, there's OSAP, but again, some people don't qualify for OSAP. They're doing it on their own. So we, we really need to look at supporting the people in our community who will then support the community that we live in. And we've talked about students a couple of times. We know that student debt load is big. And if we could cut that down, I mean, I can't imagine being a student getting out of school and saying, great, I've got a job. It pays $15, 16 $17, 18 an hour. But OSAP is calling and they want their money back. And I've got to find a way to do that and, oh, save for a house that's now in the $300,000 range, save for a vehicle that's out of my price range. It's, it isn't an easy time to be a 20-something, is it? No, and, and the jobs are more precarious, so the chances of having a decent paid wage, let alone good hours, is getting harder and harder. You know, again, do we want these students to be, you know, again, because they place the name students in this all the time, so let's just keep pointing at students. Do we want students to be 
you know, paying off their debts until they're 100. Like, you know, they don't even pay it off by the time they retire. Again, a decent wage would help that even before they get through their school. All right. You know, we got we got to help people. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, I, I love hearing words like that. And uh, here's hoping we can find some kind of middle ground or be able to step back after the budget process is done to say, OK, now now let's look at everything and uh, maybe try that that leader where we are doing a pilot project or where we turn it into more than just a pilot project. And we focus in to see whether a living wage would work, whether people are putting the money back into the economy. At least stuff is being tried, right? What's the worst form of social disease? Why do you do it that way? That's the way we've always done it. That's not the way you want to live life. Stephen, thank you so much for coming in, sharing your thoughts. Thank you very much. And hopefully people go out to council to go and support that. Stephen Holland, president of CUPE Local 101. Coming up, we will have news with Jacqueline LaBelle, and we're going to get to a survey of Canadians. If you think about brand new stuff that's out there that you do need money to buy. I mean, this is this is food stuff, but it's also clothing. It's also a few other things. What exactly is jumping off the shelves across this country? What types of things? How much does whether or not a company is environmentally friendly matter to people? What about if that environmentally friendly jacks up the price? Does that matter? We'll deal with all of that based on a brand new survey that has come out. That's still to come on London Live and Global News Radio, 980 CFPL. I'm not going to share a video. Normally, hey, I'll share stuff and make sure that we see what there is to talk about. But I'm not going to share this one. However, I do think it is worth talking about. This video is everywhere. And it shows a woman, it appears to be, it may not be, I'm not sure, uh, taking a chair off a very high balcony in Toronto and throwing the chair off the balcony toward the Gardner Expressway. Now, fortunately, now this is a folding chair, and this person is way up high, and there is a video of the chair going all the way down. This is what kind of I don't like about it because... Copycat and the power of suggestion is always there. Wow, let's see what it looks like to throw a folding chair hundreds of feet to the ground. Now, the video ends before the chair hits the ground, but there is no report of anybody actually being hit, hurt. It's described as a woman, five foot one to five foot two, 110 pounds, slim build, long blonde hair, black leather jacket. Black shoes, black clothing, and now police in Toronto have sent out basically a charge with of of mischief endangering life. So what exactly is that? Well, it's something that in this case, an example must be made. You know, a lot of times... We can sit here and say, hey, this happened and that's wrong and we've got to make an example of that person. So you've got, you know, some 15-year-old beats up a 13-year-old. We've got to make an example of that person. And I've said those words before. And then you cool down a little bit 
and you think, you know what, maybe there are underlying circumstances that we have to understand. Do we want to make a complete example of somebody who is 15 years of age and, in a way, change their life forever? So those sorts of things, the make an example, yeah, it can sound like good, tough talk. It certainly can have impact. Is it the right thing to do? In this particular case, this has to be the right thing to do. This person, as stupid as this act was, should serve jail time, in my mind. If you can find this person, and you can prove it was this person, this person does need to go to jail. If you are that stupid that you are going to throw a folding chair down toward an expressway, let's say it caused a four-vehicle collision and two people died. That doesn't appear to have happened, but let's say it did. You know, if you're driving along the Gardner Expressway at a pretty good clip and all of a sudden a folding chair goes through your windshield, that's going to be tough for you and it could cause some kind of crash that could affect other drivers. Or even if it just lands in the middle of the roadway. I mean, this is insane that this was done. And if you are that stupid, we should not protect you. If you're doing something to try and create a viral video so that you can sit back and go, look, all the news outlets are picking it up. Look, I'm everywhere. Look at me. You need to go to jail. And I hope that they can find this person, and I hope that they can fix this person, and I hope this person does serve in jail. Everyone who commits mischief that causes actual danger to life is guilty of an indictable offense and liable to imprisonment for life. And that's coming off the Justice Laws website through the government of Canada. So the leeway is there for the justice system to do that. Everyone who commits mischief that causes actual danger to life is guilty of an indictable offense and liable to imprisonment for life. I'm not saying this person should get life in prison, but if you are looking to make an example, somebody who throws a chair off a high balcony so that their friend can video it as it plummets to the ground, who knows where it's going to go, who knows who it's going to hit, that person needs to be made an example of. Good luck, Toronto police and Toronto court system in making that happen. This is Global News Radio, 980 CFPL. People are fascinating. Absolutely fascinating. Watching people, watching what they do, looking at different trends, it is fascinating to see how humans behave. And BrandSpark International is a company that does a really good job from a consumer standpoint tracking how people behave. And we talked to them a little while ago about top brands and what people were reaching for. So when you thought peanuts, here's what you went after. When you thought jeans, here's what Canadians were going after. They now have something brand new. They're already looking at their... Well, here we're on 2019. Still hard to say 2019. You're not fine. But they're looking at their 2019 Best New Product Awards that they have just unveiled in which they survey people from coast to coast in Canada and they compile the data and they go through it and they count everything up and they try and determine the best new products out there on the market. So why don't we take a couple of minutes and talk with Robert Levy, who's the president of BrandSpark International. Robert, how is the day going? 
It's going really well. It's nice to uh, be talking to you. How do you go about keeping track of all the brands you guys do? This is getting a little bit on the uh, the wild side in terms of how many companies are putting out all kinds of different things. I just got a thing over the weekend that was a one-used toothbrush to try out. And I thought, who even thinks of this stuff? Well, it's interesting because um, we love trying new products. So 7 in 10 Canadians consistently like trying new products. But here's the challenge. You're right. There's thousands of new products that are launched every year, and 50% tell us that there's just too many new products for them to even determine which is best on their own. So hence the opportunity. We're a research company, and it's now our 16th year of actually helping consumers do just that. So we do this crazy national survey that BrandSpark International does. We surveyed over 18,000 consumers. We make sure that they've actually bought these products, people who've actually tried them, um, and, you know, literally the team spends months taking, you know, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of products, narrowing it down to a list that we call the best of the best. And then we really crown those, uh, those products that are, are the best and you can trust and try. And then we've narrowed down this list. And this year we have 66 winners. So it makes it kind of much more manageable. All right. Well, we're already into 2019 for winners. I, I love the fact that we, we have an award show last night, the Grammys that are the winners of 2018, but you guys are already into 2019. So uh, we just finished lunch not too long ago. We have dinner coming up. We're about halfway in between. Some of the big winners when it comes to food and drink, what, what do we have? So we see a trend um, towards healthier foods and then also Canadian foods and natural. So those are kind of themes that we've been tracking over the years. So, for example, we've got um, in the healthier stuff, healthier frozen entree, healthy choice power bowls, hot tea, an interesting new product from Tetley this year. It's a super tea, which they fortified with minerals and vitamins, which is perfect for this time of year. So that's really clever. Um, that can even be in the afternoon. You don't have to wait for dinner. Um, Low-calorie ice cream is a cool category this year. We have Breyers Delight. They came out with three great um, flavors, and it's you know a lower-calorie uh, ice cream, 70 to 90 calories per serving, which is really great. Um, we've got organic prepackaged deli meat, so Maple Lodge has an organic from the farm cooked chicken breast. So we can just see this trends towards flavors, uh, more international flavors, but also healthier, less sugar juice. Minute Made as a no sugar added Tetra juice box. There's been a lot of discussion around the food guide, so you can just see that that's going to continue to be a trend uh, in those areas, and the brands are responding. Robert Levy joining us, president of BrandSpark International. Basically, they take 18,000 Canadians and they ask them, what are you using? What are you noticing? And do a great big survey looking at kind of consumer preferences. One thing that I think stood out to a lot of us, maybe going back even to Super Bowl advertising, was the idea that a lot of the fun commercials in the United States had gone away. And instead, well, Budweiser, for instance, was promoting the fact that their beer was brewed using wind power, which I don't think anybody knew. I don't know if beer drinkers are looking at that going, I thought so. That's fantastic. I like my beer wind power brewed. But there seemed to be this real presence for environmental consciousness. What did you notice from an environmental standpoint in your survey? So environmental is something we've been tracking for a number of years, and it's a, it's a, 
it is an interesting topic, and it is a little bit layered and complicated. Because if you ask consumers, do they care about the environment? Generally, they're going to say yes. But here's the rub, is they actually think it's up to the manufacturers to make the products more environmentally friendly. So, um, and only like 79% say they like it when manufacturers make the products more environmentally friendly. So the butt example is a good one. Like that's making the product more environmentally friendly. That's something that consumers appreciate. But are they going to be willing to pay more for it? And that's the real question. And the answer is no, because only 37% are willing to pay more for these products. Um, so I think we see that going up a little bit because that was 32% a year ago. So we see people starting to take a little bit more responsibility. But if Bud was going to charge more because they uh, put wind power to use the beer, uh, to create the beer, that's something they're going to have trouble with. If they do it and they still keep Bud as a, a great-tasting beer and, and the same value, and they do this um, as something that they're committed to, then I think it can translate into more loyalty and purchase and trial. Robert, something else that companies seem to do is come out with all kinds of new variations of kind of a, a, a same product, whether it is beer, whether it's adding in apple flavor, orange flavor, or lime flavor a few years ago. We see chocolate bars go from the big chocolate bars to, well, we now offer small ones, and now we, we offer all these flavors. Coming out with new stuff all the time. Does that resonate much with Canadians in your survey? It does, and I think a great example of that is, is Perrier, which we know is the most trusted sparkling water, but they are not resting on their laurels. So this year they came out with uh, Perrier and juice, with naturally infused juice, um, only 60 calories per can. So they had come out with flavored sparkling water with zero calorie, um, but now what they've done by infusing juice, uh, like strawberry and kiwi, for example, They've added another variety, but still making it healthier than, let's say, traditional pop. So I think we're seeing companies taking their core um, strengths. Duncan Hines has come out with a perfect size for one chocolate lover's cake, for example. People know Duncan Hines. They feel guilty if they sit down and polish off a whole cake. Here you can basically put it in a mug um, in the afternoon or at night and kind of control the portion, but still give yourself an indulgence. And I think... That's the thing. People want to be healthier, but they're not willing to sacrifice. So I think where we have um, brands that are, are understanding these trends and building off of their strengths, and then we have brands doing something completely new. So, for example, um, in talking about the Super Bowl, um, there was bubbly sparkling water, which is a new sparkling water which has zero calories, and then they did a really cool, fun commercial with Michael Bublé. So there was a nice Canadian connection to that one. Robert Levy joining us, president of BrandSpark. Not too long ago, we talked about most recognizable brands based on a survey. We're looking at best new products and the best new product awards that come out from BrandSpark. And I guess let's kind of finish it off there. The fact that we do have Canadian products and anymore people have that feeling of, hey, if I can buy something that is Canadian, I want to do it. I want to try and help out somebody in this country. In terms of Canadian brands, as far as new products go, anything stand out this year to you? Absolutely. So we're very excited to see that the dairy brands are really stepping up their, um, not only their campaign about being Canadian, but also innovation. So we see Parmalat had three winners with lactose-free mozzarella cheese, Galbani, uh, pizza mozzarella deluxe, 
Président, or President Collection, which is a spreadable cheese. We see Gailey with their Black River Cheese, which is a bite-sized um, bite snacking cheese category. Um, we see Saputo with Joya Ultra-Filtered Milk, which was a tough new category where there's been a lot of Canadian innovation. Catelli adding turmeric to their pasta with a whole line of turmeric pasta, Maple Lodge. So it's really exciting to see the Canadian brands that are stepping up but in addition to being Canadian, they're also um, developing meaningful innovations that are resonating with Canadian consumers. Finally, Robert, if anybody wanted to see the entire list, is there a handy-dandy place we can go? Absolutely. So we can go to bestnewproducts.ca. We've also created a shopping guide on our sister site, shopperarmy.ca, which is a site that gives you cash back. So you can actually go and buy the products that are available online at Amazon. And we have a 5% welcome bonus right now for people. So, again, uh, another easy way to find the list, download it, buy them online, and through shopperarmy.ca, even get cash back. Robert, thanks for keeping tabs on all of us. We really appreciate the time. Our pleasure. It's a lot of fun. Robert Levy, president of Brand Spark International. So, how Canadians are behaving, what we're buying, do we care about the environment? Yeah, as long as it doesn't cost us any more money. That's always been the way, always going to be the way, I think. We are going to take a quick break. A couple of words on what the Cleveland Browns just did. They just signed Kareem Hunt. And before you go blaming the Browns, don't blame the Browns. I'll get to the Kareem Hunt story. You'll remember him. He was the leading rusher in the National Football League in 2017. He was playing very, very well for the Kansas City Chiefs, one of the best teams in the league early on. A video surfaced of him shoving people. A woman was knocked to the ground. He is seen in the video kicking the woman. Kicking the woman in the video. And so the Chiefs said, no, we're not going to deal with this. You lied about this video. You lied about a bunch of stuff. We're going to let you go. The Browns have now said, um... Well, we know you from before. The GM that drafted Kareem Hunt is now in Cleveland. So we're going to bring you aboard on a contract. Don't blame the Browns entirely in this, but there is somebody you should blame. Because this shouldn't have happened. There is somebody you should have blamed. And somebody who should have done something a while ago. I'll tell you who that is next as we close out London Live on Global News Radio 980 CFPL. All right, Kareem Hunt on video kicking a woman who had been knocked down because he was shoving people. Happened in a hotel. So the Cleveland Browns sign him. Browns are doing this big, let's give a guy a second chance. Anything like this, again, will not be tolerated. John Dorsey, their GM, has given a big old statement on this. Here's who you blame in this, because it shouldn't have happened. Blame the National Football League. Why did the National Football League not punish Kareem Hunt? Oh, well, the Chiefs released him, so nothing much we can do. That seems to be their attitude in all of this. Well, that's a wrong attitude. When you have a video of someone kicking a woman who has been knocked to the ground because of that someone's actions, that someone needs to be told, you know what? You're not going to play in our league for a while, maybe not ever again. Why was that not done? Why did the NFL not punish Kareem Hunt? Well, we were charges. There's a video. You don't need to worry about charges. You are your own league. You decide on punishments all the time. 
You had to save your league, that protect or that that precious shield of the NFL that you so try to protect. You had to save your league from having one of its teams sign this guy this soon. Because immediately people are saying, well, you can get caught for drugs and miss this amount of time. You can kick a woman on the ground and eh, it's less. Inexcusable that the National Football League allowed this to happen, that they didn't slap some kind of lengthy punishment, lengthy ban on Kareem Hunt. We'll talk more about that another time. Thanks to Matt McKinnis for his help today. London Live brought to you by Winmar, your restoration specialist. News is next. We will have Jacqueline LaBelle with the day's latest stories. We'll have details on what the weather is going to show. This is Global News Radio, 980 CFPL.